Beloved, we're going to read from two passages this morning. I'm going to read a New Testament passage from Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And then I'm going to ask you to stand after I read this, and we're going to read from 2 Chronicles. Our sermon this morning will be from 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. This is God's word. This is his most holy, inerrant, infallible word. The grass, it withers, the flowers, they fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord is living and active. So let us pray that the Lord will grant us illumination by his spirit before we read. Our Father and our God, we stand before you ready to receive, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus who lives to minister to us even in the heavenly places, who loves to send his spirit and help us and guide us and instruct us and change us. And so, Lord Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, send your Holy Spirit now so that we could continue to worship you in spirit and truth, so that we can hear from you, that you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to understand, and that we'd be transformed, we'd be changed, we'd be different when we leave here today because of the reading of your scriptures, because of the preaching of your scriptures, ultimately because you're pleased to use it as a means of grace to sinners who are on the way to life, uh, full life and full heavenly life in Christ. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reading first from Hebrews 12, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's turn now to 2 Chronicles 20. This is God's word. Let us stand for the reading of it if you are able. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came, across, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great, multiple, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, beyond, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and in Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, 
so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets. And you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And then finally, in verse 30 of this passage. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Beloved, one of the great gifts of grace that God gives to his people is a faithful king. We're going to look at a faithful king today, a king who was 
conquering, a king who brought comfort, rest to God's people. We want to be reminded, when we're reading Chronicles, the people of God would have received this book after the exile. They're being reminded through the inspired word that they're still God's people. That God, though the exile came as a discipline, that God has still set his affection and has a purpose and plan for them. But they do not have a king. And they're awaiting a king. You see, in this time period, young children, adults, a king was one the people thought of as a shepherd who would lead the people, who would guide the people, who would protect the people, who would pray for the people, who would mediate for the people, and who would ultimately bring comfort and rest to the people. There were many things that a king did for his people when he was faithful to Yahweh. That's why it's so important here to begin this passage by saying that Jehoshaphat was a faithful king. He was a gift of God to the people. And there's four particular things that he did that we want to observe about his kingship. The first is his humble service of seeking God, his humble servant's heart that's revealed in this passage. The second thing we want to look at is this king's prayer and his communion with Yahweh, not merely for himself, but as mediator on behalf of his people. The third, we want to look at this king's obedience and faithfulness. We also want to look at this king's um, victory and the rest that he brought to the people. But first, let's look at Jehoshaphat's humble servant's heart. Immediately, Jehoshaphat is told that the armies of Ammon and the Moabites and some others are uh, now allied together um, to bring a challenge to Israel, to seek to destroy Israel, to put them out of the land. And these are uh, the sons of Lot that we learn about many uh, years before in Genesis 19. And these enemies of Yahweh and the enemies of God's people are bringing them a conflict, are putting them in a precarious position. And truly, Jehoshaphat as king is frightened. We're told that right away. Jehoshaphat, verse 3, was afraid. But notice his reaction, young and old. He humbled himself in his fear. He didn't uh, allow his fear to overwhelm him. He didn't allow his circumstances to dictate what kind of king he would be. Rather, he humbled himself before the Lord. And he called himself to a fast. He called the people to a fast. A, a fast is simply a self-humiliation. It's calling oneself to deny oneself of strengths and other good, even good creaturely things that we often will lean on and depend upon. But to, uh, to fast from those things, to let them go in order that through humility we may depend upon the Lord alone. And so he calls a fast. He calls the people to a fast. We see that uh, the king 
is showing the people an imitation to follow. He's teaching the people that in these kind of conflicts, in these kind of circumstances, that the best way to face fear is not in your strength, not in all of the creaturely comforts that God gives to you, but through fasting, through seeking the Lord, through humbling oneself, through believing that God is able to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so, he not only shows the people uh, an example, he not only mediates for them in this fasting and humility, he unites them with a common purpose. He teaches the people that they're better together in weakness than apart in strength. And so, the people are called to this fast. And what does he say that I think is so important to remember when we are humbling ourselves before the Lord, when we are in uh, circumstances that are challenged or difficult, is to remember verse 12b. What comes out of this humble heart of this king is the honest confession that we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's a a caring king. That's a king who knows Yahweh can sympathize with him in his weakness. And even in the admission of the weakness, he is becoming stronger and stronger along with the people. But he says, we don't know what to do. Now, beloved, listen. Jehoshaphat is a man learning how to be faithful. He hasn't always responded to fear this way. No, he's actually committed alliances, joined alliances with wicked kings in order to seek to defend or to defeat the enemies. This is something where Jehoshaphat, through God's sovereign grace, given in these circumstances, is learning obedience through what he suffered. He's learning obedience through discipline. It's the father is not surprised by these circumstances. He's appointed these circumstances. And at the end of chapter 19, Jehoshaphat was told by at least two prophets to remember not to fear, to be bold, to be faithful, to be courageous. And here's his test. The news comes to him, and he's told they're all lined up against us. His response this time is not to unequally yoke himself with a wicked king or with his own strength and resources. His response is to humble himself and to say to the Lord, I can't do this on my own. I look to you, O Yahweh. That's the first thing we see about this king that's faithful. A very gift of God for Israel at this time. But the second thing we see is his prayer. He not only seeks the Lord in humility and calling a fast, joining the hearts of the people together, he prays for the people. He prays for himself and the people. You'll notice in verses 6 and following, as he stands, he's praying uh, in the nearness to the temple. He's standing up as not a perfect king, but a faithful king uh, in the line of David, a faithful king in the line of Solomon. Some of his prayer actually sounds a lot like Solomon's prayer, Uh, back in 1 Kings 6, when the temple was built. 
The temple was the place of God's presence. And so what is it that he's doing, children, here? What is it, young people, that Jehoshaphat is doing? He is praying because he knows God's presence and power is for him. He knows that he can pray because God is with him. That's the great promise of Yahweh, is that I will be your God, you will be my people, I will dwell in your midst, and when you call upon my name, I will hear you. I will respond to you. And so he acknowledges God's power. He says, in your hand are power and might. None is able to withstand you. Um, He recalls the faithfulness of God. Did you not drive out all the inhabitants of the land? Did you not promise that this was our land, that this was our inheritance? What does he do in his prayer? But he pleads God's promises for himself and the people. He rehearses the faithfulness of God. He remembers that God is near to them. He goes on to remind him of the fact that he's not only uh, in the line of David, And Solomon, but he's in the line of Abraham, God's very friend, in claiming these things for himself and for the people. And so he says in verse 9, very confidently, that your name is in this house, and I cry out to you that you've promised to hear and save. Beloved, where is it that you need to be reminded that God is near to you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, and that God is is desiring for you to approach him with boldness and faith, to believe him, to believe his promises, to rehearse in your mind his faithfulness. Sometimes I go into my journal on those days where I'm not feeling very grateful, and I try to write down all of the things that God has done for me in my short life. It's getting longer. But in my life, the things that God has done. And you can't help but come from there going, the Lord has always been faithful. He was faithful here. He was faithful there. He'll be faithful again. And so Jehoshaphat tells us it's about humbling oneself as a servant. He's showing us it's about we need a king to pray for us and with us. And the third thing that we see about Jehoshaphat, he's obedient and faithful. Now, he's not a perfect king, as we've pointed out. He could be called a blameless king. He could be called a righteous king. But he could not be called a perfect king. In fact, like all of us in service to the Lord, there are some things that when we die, we pray we will have fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith, and everybody will remember us as faithful. But you know what? There's always going to be things undone. There's always going to be, somebody's going to have to sweep up after us a little bit. Or they're going to have to continue to sweep the mess. Maybe that we didn't make, but that we just didn't get to. That there was more mess that needed to be cleaned up. That's what we're told at the end of of Jehoshaphat's reign. In verse 33, the, the high places were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. He couldn't get everyone to follow. He couldn't fix everyone. He needed to be faithful himself as king. So that the people would see the power that comes with obedience to the Lord. You see, what he says, and what is a response to his prayer, is that God, Spirit fills a man 
named Jehaziel. Verse 14. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Now, this is what we love, isn't it? That immediate answer to prayer. We prayed, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a preacher. He comes in, he tells us a word, and we get, wow, we get encouraged. It's exactly what I needed to hear. Well, that's what the Spirit does. He uses that word. And Jehaziel comes out, and what does he say? He says, listen, what you need to know about this situation is that God will fight for you. The prophet is saying the same words that God told Moses and Aaron and the people of God when they crossed the Red Sea. That all you need to do is stand and the Lord will fight for you. Just stand firm and the Lord will fight for you. This is his fight. This is his conflict. This is not ultimately your conflict. What you do is you be faithful. You obey. You stand firm on the word of God. And what happens? Regardless of how he felt. That fear was real. It always is, beloved. But regardless, he humbled himself, he prayed, and he came forth to tell all of the people that what he had heard was true. And they could believe it. In fact, Jehoshaphat says at the end of the passage here in verse 17. Um, well, I, I'm quoting Ahaziah first and then I'll quote uh, uh, but he says in verse 17, he says, stand firm, hold your position, see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Tomorrow, go against, the, uh, go against them and the Lord will be with you. And then that faith, that faith before he sees the answer, the, the word come to pass, he says to the people in verse 20 B, hear me, Judah and inhabitants, believe in the Lord God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Notice how this verse, children, young people, notice how the verse is written. It's written so that the first part of the verse is stated and the second part explains it a little bit better. Because what he's saying is, if you believe in the Lord your God, what is more, what's so true is that you will believe his prophets or his word and you will succeed. Here we see the word of God. We see the God himself. We see God and his word. That we're to believe the Lord our God. And the way that we are to believe him is by believing his prophets, finding success. So he believes. The first thing that Jehoshaphat does is he believes God's word. He remembers that God is faithful. And that's where we'll be established. And if we believe his word through the prophets, then... We shall succeed. And beloved, this success is not as the word count, world counts success. And it may not feel successful sometimes, but being faithful is always successful. Being obedient, despite the circumstances, according to God's word, in reliance upon his grace, is always, is always success. But the second thing he does, it's not just that he believes the word. He leads the people in worship. It's expectant worship and expectation. They're on the march. They haven't seen the Lord overcome the enemies. They haven't seen their breaking through by his grace this, these circumstances. These circumstances are still real, present tense. And what does he do? He calls the people to worship. He says, we're going to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to march toward the conflict. We're not going to let our fears seize us. 
We're going to march in Yahweh's name and stand firm as he's called us to stand firm, to believe his word, to know their success, and let's sing while we're doing it. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they begin to sing, there's victory. You know, beloved, the thing we're to learn here is that Jehoshaphat was a faithful man, a faithful man to God, a faithful man to God's word. Not a perfect man, but a man who believed that obedience was most important and that the people, that as a help to believing the word, needed to praise, they needed to worship, they needed to glorify, they needed to do this from the heart, seeking the Lord by faith. He's teaching them to walk by faith and not by sight. And so that's the third thing that Jehoshaphat teaches us. We see that God has granted Israel a king at this time. He's a faithful king who's obedient and faithful to God's word. Finally, we see a king here who brings the victory and rest through weakness, through obedience, through God's grace, through prayer, through humility. And there's victory. And there's rest. But God gets all the glory for it. Beloved, why does God allow us conflict? We, we want sometimes to just move on and graduate to heaven. Sometimes if you're like me, you just say, well, I don't want to leave my loved ones, but I really find this difficult situation now, and I'd like the Lord either come back or take me home. Conflicts can be very difficult. We remember from this passage that the victory comes through obedience. The victory comes through prayer. The victory comes through humility. The victory also brings us rest. That's how the passage ends in verse 30. The realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. You see, that's what our hearts are longing for when we say, take me home, Lord Jesus, or Lord, how long? These are all legitimate prayers. But we also want to pray, Lord, help me that I would understand that even in the conflict, even in the hard circumstances, I can humble myself beautifully by your grace. I can pray to you knowing you're nearby and your power is, on, is for me, not against me. And that I can be obedient by your grace. I can be faithful and I can trust you for the victory. And I can even experience some rest now. Not fully from conflict. The Lord tell, told the people of Israel that the reason why they did not uh, destroy all the people out of the promised land. You remember, children? He tells them. They didn't destroy all the conflict in their, that would be in their lives. Why? Because he wanted to train their hands for war. He wanted to teach them how to battle. Battle independence to him. So we don't know exactly why, but we know there are always these victorious, restful benefits of trusting God through circumstances, of facing fears that feel really hard. And beloved, do with me. Uh, remember that our feelings are very strong, but we're never to follow them. We're to listen to our feelings. Feelings are good. They're blessings of God. But we're always to let our, the word of God guide and inform our feelings. 
Because if you're a feelings-oriented person like myself, it's sometimes awful hard to believe the truth when we're just not feeling it. And so our feelings have to be submitted, along with our whole hearts, to God's word, to know that he will bring the victory. Well, beloved, as a preacher, it's always my privilege to come to a place where I get to preach about Jesus. Because Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. Yes, he was a good king. Yes, he was a blessing of God. Yes, the Lord used him to unite the people to some degree. Yes, he used him to lead the people to some degree. Yes, he used used him to protect the people to some degree. Yes, he used him to bring them rest. But he's nothing like the Son of God. He's nothing like the perfect king. The one that Jehoshaphat is pointing forward and upward to at this time. The one that the Israelites after exile are awaiting. Behold the king who is come. Who humbles himself. Taking to himself our nature. Humbling himself and becoming obedient even unto death. uh, Praying regularly for his disciples. Praying for us in John 17. Not just for his disciples. But for all believers. He's the one who is obedient and faithful even unto that death. Facing those circumstances, facing darkness, facing the evil one, facing death itself, and an eternity of hell that not just one sinner deserves, but all the sinners for whom he's standing in their place. That's a hell. That's something to be called descending into hell. If you're understanding that, that's what that means, children, is Jesus was obedient even unto the wrath of God and believed the word of God, was faithful to the word of God so that that faithful record could be imputed not just to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just to David, not just to Solomon, not just to Jehoshaphat, but to all of God's people. And it's through that death, through that humility, it's through those prayers that he cried loudly, learning obedience through what he suffered, as Hebrews 5, 7 says. It's through this obedient and faithfulness on our behalf unto death that he brings the victory. He faces the circumstances to bring us the victory of life from the dead, of eventual freedom completely from sin, of complete bliss in the presence of God, of eternal life and everything our hearts are ever longed for rightfully and biblically and theologically and gratefully, we get to live with Him. And the suffering, the sin, the conflict, it'll be all behind us. He won the victory. And He gives us rest a little bit now, especially by the Holy Spirit, when our consciences can rest before a most holy God, when we can learn to trust Him and know that I'm not going to be worried or anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, I'm going to let my request be known to God and I'm going to trust that the peace of past it all understanding is going to guard my, guard my heart and mind in Christ. You see, that's the victory. That's the rest. 
We wait for the fullness of that victory. One day, beloved, the king's going to come in all his glory. And we're going to see him face to face. And all of our dreams will come true. All the permanence we longed for. All the hope we believed in God's word. It's all going to change as our eyes see and we become fully like him. And our victory, our victory will be final and complete. Our rest will be permanent. The rest that uh, was given to Israel in the promised land was just a picture. It was God drawing a picture of what eternal life in his presence, trusting in his power, would bring to all believers in Christ. So, who is the king who conquers and comforts? It's Jesus Christ. And the Lord, just as he gave a king to his church then, an imperfect one, one that was to, well, be a blessing until his son came, he's made his son king of kings and lord of lords. He's raised his son from the dead and seated him at God's right hand. He is the priest king according to old Melchizedek. And he lives to minister to us by his spirit in our times of conflict and fear. And beloved, we breathe, as one teacher puts it, we breathe the atmosphere of heaven when we're under his word. When we're... Uh, acknowledging and understanding His Spirit and that we're united Him, we're, we can breathe the very atmosphere of heaven. We can breathe that very promised land, that inheritance that is already ours in Christ. And we can experience rest. Now let me close with this. Think about yourself as a church and think about yourself as families and individuals. But let me ask you this. What is it that you fear so much right now a loss of job, perhaps the, a relationship that is broken and that you desire to be fixed. Perhaps it's real conflict with someone else. We, we want to remember, beloved, that Jesus said in this world we'll have trouble, that we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so our place right now, though it's a place in Christ of enjoying the victory and enjoying some of the rest, it's still a place of conflict. And we're still going to have to face our fears. And God calls us to face those fears in Christ. He calls us to say, to begin as a church, as families and individuals, to say what Jehoshaphat said and to imitate him. To say... Verse 12, we're powerless against this situation that's coming against us. We're powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the thing about it is, we can, with the author of Hebrews, say, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to look to Jesus, and I'm going to trust the one who brought the victory for me. I'm going to be... And realize more fully, by God's grace, that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. That nothing can separate me from God's love in Christ. And I'm going to face whatever he's calling me to. That my fears say no, but God says go. And I'm going to see in Christ the one who has loved me so much. 
that he has humbled himself for me so in his strength I could humble myself for him. I'm going to look to Christ and see the one who prays for me. And I'm going to enter into his prayer time. Remember, beloved, the reason why we're still standing today, a a, a large portion of that, a real reason for that is the ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus, praying for us that our faith wouldn't fail us. And we can enter his prayer time. We can remember that all of our righteousness is because of his obedience, his faithfulness. And we can seek to be motivated, moved, controlled by that so that we too can be obedient. And we can remember his victory each and every day that is already ours, that we will possess more and more. But the church needs a king who will comfort, who will conquer and comfort. And we have that king. In fact, he's not only been victorious on our behalf, he's given us his spirit. He's very, very near to us. He lives within us. And he's at work taking all the hard things and making them good things in that he shapes and molds and transforms us more and more into his likeness. We started by saying and remembering that a faithful king was a a gift of Yahweh to his people. And we, beloved, have that faithful king who is always present with us by his spirit, who ministers to us as God's king at God's right hand, through his spirit, by his word. And so, let me encourage you today, as we close, as the, uh, as the little ones, the wives and the children, stood united before the Lord, let me remind you, little ones, wives, children, fathers, pastor, elders, believe in the Lord your God, And you will be established. Believe his prophets. And you will succeed. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God. We're so grateful for your kind mercies. And grace to us in Christ Jesus. And we ask you that you would continue to help us. In this time of conflict. To stand firm. To let nothing move us, to always give ourselves to your work, knowing that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. To remember that our battle uh, is not against flesh and blood, uh, but it's against the principalities and powers. It's about uh, the cosmic wickedness. It's a spiritual battle. And in that battle, you've called us to stand firm. You've called us to stand in the evil day. You've called us to stand with the whole armor of God that's given to us in Christ. And we pray that. Lord, as a congregation, as families, as individuals, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might take heart, that we have that wonderful, beautiful, glorious king whom you've given to us. And he's our bridegroom, and we're his bride. And he's come to rescue us and save us from the dragon and ultimately from all conflict and from indwelling sin and from the world and from the devil and from death itself. One day, death itself will be put under his feet. And so we thank you, glorious King. We ask that you would help us to remember that you have conquered and conquer in and through us and that you will comfort and continue to comfort us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the church responded with a resounding amen.